No, I just like what you said, the the free flow of information is important to keep the truth alive. So I feel like that's what we're here doing, trying to get the information out there and get truth out there. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Fortify podcast, where our goal is to talk about all things that are hopefully fortifying to you and to your local community. Hey, 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 thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. And I am once again joined with Stephanie Ripple. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. And once again, she's going to be sharing her um, reports. And I actually think, so I always say, you know, I always put the link to her report. So you can literally go in tap on the link that I have in there and your reports go all the way back to I think I started in August or October yeah last year you can you have the ability to go back and review all the reports for here for Indiana I mean she just she takes the time to write this all out you know, so people can easily just, oh, get a one-sentence synopsis or two of what happened, and then she gives you the, um, you you put the VAERS number or whatever, so if people want to click on that, they can see it. Yes. So it's all there, folks, if you want to check it out yourself. And you, again, for the millionth time, correlation does not mean causation. And some of these things you'll look at, and you'll, you might go, eh, I don't know, and, and fair enough, you know. But then there are things that you just go, oh, okay, there's enough of those that it's, it, it, if the point is to just report anything that might happen, then it's doing its job. So, all right, uh, Stephanie, so what do you have for us today? So a lot of the same things that we see week after week, more heart issues, more strokes, more cancer, uh, case of cancer diagnosed two and a half months after the fifth dose. Um, A lot of, we can't figure out what's going on. We see nothing abnormal, yet people have all these symptoms. That's that's a a problem because these are brand, I remember, I think I've talked about this before, where I talked to Joel Walscog about this. So Joel is one of the co-founders of React 19, which is the largest organization in the world helping the vaccine injured. And I said, Joel, how, you know, so what do you say to, you know, what are these people supposed to say to the doctor when, you know, all the tests are coming back, nothing's wrong, but yet, you know, there's paresthesias and there's heart issues and there's all these issues. And he said, that's an issue for them to figure out. It's not our onus. You can't just say, oh, there's something mentally wrong with you that you think things are wrong. That is for the onus is on the doctors to say, okay, we need to find out what's going on. Yes. So all those kinds of things. Um, But one story that really stood out to me this week was something I had never heard of before, and I had hoped to have more time to look into it, but haven't yet. But there was a 17-year-old boy here in Indiana. Of course, all these stories are from Indiana. He got really sick like a week after having his shot and, you know, was in and out of the hospital. They couldn't figure out what's going on. Um, And eventually... I think it was like 14 days of illness after 14 days of illness he was diagnosed with I'm not going to try to pronounce it but the letters are HLH which is a rare disease in which your immune system does not work normally 
Certain white blood cells called histiocytes and lymphocytes attack your other blood cells. These abnormal blood cells collect in your spleen and liver, causing these organs to enlarge. You know what? I have seen other reports of this on other vaccine-injured sites. Oh, have you? Yes, I have. Okay. So, I assume, I mean, it makes sense because you have something, this sounds like an autoimmune yes, type exactly. thing. Yes, so, exactly. And we've seen a lot of that connected with these shots. So um, they did, I'm not sure what treatment entailed, but they did 12 weeks of treatment and now he's considered to be in remission. But I mean, he went through a lot. He went through a lot of testing, a lot of illness. I don't know what these treatments entailed, but you know, when I hear remission, it's like, okay, are we always like waiting to see if it's going to start yeah, happening what again? What has happened now to his, what what was the catalyst that drove his immune system to this? And is it still lurking out there? Right. So I don't know. And it's just sad. You know, a 17 year old kid who should be the healthiest point in his life is dealing with something like this now. You know, as you said that this morning, I shared with Stephanie a, a video. It it was horrific. It was horrific. Mm-hmm. This mother lost perfectly healthy 21 year old um, daughter. And I was going to play it I was going to play the audio but it's 20 minutes long so I might just do that in a separate podcast but I will link it in the notes it is such a horrific story what this mother went through I mean and they they it was determined yes it was happened by the vaccine I don't even it this her story encapsulates everything that was wrong about COVID policies about what has happened. And so I would encourage anybody who's listening to please click on that link that you'll find um, because it's 21 years old and here, you know, 17. And, you know, I look at Ernest Romero's son, you know, 15. Was he 15? Um, Was junior 15? I mean, and um, David Allen, uh, who's Tristan, who died also at 21 after the vaccine. I mean, this is, this is tragic. Yeah. So something else that I we are seeing a lot of, there's an example this week of a woman who, not too long, it was a few months after her fourth dose, she was diagnosed with a sinus infection, you know, prescribed all kinds of different things. And so that was in September of 22. And today, once it was reported, she's still dealing with these symptoms, um, just cannot get rid of them. So it made me think, I don't know if you remember at the beginning of this whole rollout when there were certain doctors who were worried about um, antibody dependent enhancement. Yes. Do you remember yep, that? So, so now we're seeing people who are getting various kinds of infections that their bodies are just unable to fight. So I think we're beginning to see that antibody dependent enhancement playing out in these people's lives. And again, if we could, had the, had physicians just been made aware of this and, you know, that, that was the whole thing. We, you know, we, you've seen the videos and all of this where they knew that, you know, the, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, they knew that these injuries were happening early. They said that they were going to let the public know they never did. Had doctors been, and anybody in the medical field been made aware, hey, all these things could be happening. These people could be getting help. Yes. But as 
as we have seen in so many of these cases, like everything you have there, but in just this horrific case, uh, the one we were just talking about, no one was being made aware of it. And I have to say, so the last time we were together, we talked about how we were going to try to go to the Allen County Board of Health meeting and the um, DeKalb County Board of Health meeting. And it turned out Allen County doesn't allow public comments, but we were told we could send them information, which we did. And then DeKalb, I happen to know um, the head of the Board of Health there, the president, happens to also be our veterinarian. He's a very nice gentleman. He called, said, hey, Ann, you know, what's what's up? And we had a nice conversation. He was very, um, he, he listened intently, and he said, yes, you know, you can give us the information. And I went down and introduced myself to Cheryl at the Department of Health there. And I, I would say that they are... Um, I think as the um, president talked to me, he's like, you've certainly got our attention based on the information that we've provided. So um, our goal, again, and, and that's what he asked. He said, what is your goal with all this? And I said, our goal, you know, my peers and I who are working on this, our goal is simply to bring awareness so mm-hmm. that people know what's going on because people don't know what's going on. Right. And if they did, you wouldn't have the tragedies that are, I mean, People could still be getting injured, but at least when they got injured, when they walked into their doctor or hospital, whatever, they'd be like, oh, okay, we need to be on this. And they would maybe have tools and knowledge on how to help them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So another story that I look at and think antipody dependent enhancement, there was a woman a few years younger than me. And shortly after she got her, just her second dose, she broke out in a rash um, that spread over her body and, you know, she tried eczema creams, which would help a little. And she also got a persistent cough and has had breathing issues. And she's been on antibiotics, prednisone, breathing treatments, but the cough never completely goes away. It interrupts her sleep. She has to carry a nebulizer with her everywhere she goes. So these rashes and these breathing issues have been happening since May of 21. Mm -hmm. And here we are. Oh, May 2nd of 21. Two years. Yeah, two years that she's been dealing with this. And she's only 44. So, you know, I'm sure she's thinking, is this going to be the rest of my life? You should see. Okay, so I'm on Twitter um, under Ann Forty, And there's an account that they just post all of these pictures of these people with rashes, you Uh know, from the vaccine. Yeah horrific yeah like there's a name for them but i mean just these these photos and you're just like what in the world so i mean this this stuff that just covers their whole body and it's like this peeling skin Mm -hmm. it's just it's literally horrific yeah miserable itching burning pain just it's it's awful they're in I mean, just think about going out in public when you have something like that too. And uh, I don't think most of well, them if you, are. If yeah. you saw, if you if you would see some of these pictures, I don't even I don't even know how they get healed. You know, I it's just, uh, anyway. You yeah. can you can follow me on Twitter and look at all those pictures. Just follow follow that account. I'm sorry, I don't know the name of it right off the top of my head, but um, you'll see the pictures if yeah. you look at my retweets. Yeah. Okay, another woman um she 
has had a history of migraines, but had them under control for 12 years. And then after her second dose of the shot, she began having migraines again. The drugs she had been using to manage them weren't working. And the new drugs she started are becoming less effective because she has to use them all the time. So, um, she, I mean, just daily that she's having migraines and there's no way to get rid of them anymore. Well, for all of you who've ever suffered with migraines, you know how debilitating that can be and how discouraging it. You know, you have them under control for 12 years and now boom. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the rest is pretty much just the same stuff you've heard week after week. Lots of, again, breakthrough COVID infections. You know, the the video you referred to, the Australian woman who lost her daughter, she yes. talked about that sometime after she lost her daughter. She was vaccinated, what, three or four three. times? Three. I think she times, said she had three doses. And then she still got COVID. Yeah. So her daughter dies and she has COVID and she's like, what's the point of having gotten this? And just yesterday, I posted on Facebook. <laughs> this might be interesting if you didn't know this. So, so the Coalition Advocating for Adequately Labeled Medicines recently filed a petition requesting the FDA update product labeling for the Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccines to better reflect their true safety and efficacy. So they, they sent this to the FDA saying, hey, you really need to put on the label that this doesn't prevent transmission, whatever. So this was what, this was what the FDA responded with. FDA authorization and licensure standards for vaccines do not require demonstration of the prevention of infection or transmission. Similarly, a vaccine can meet the EAU standard without any evidence the vaccine presents, prevents infection or transmission. So that's right from the FDA that they're saying, oh, well, we never had to prove that it prevented infection or transmission. I mean, that's why none of us could move. Oh, you have to get the vaccine mm-hmm. so you don't spread it to grandma. Oh, no, you can't come in the restaurant. Nope, you're going to lose your job. Nope, you know, you, you can't go to work. So think about that, folks. Think about the fact that's what the FDA is now saying. It's like total backtracking. And so what's the point? Yeah, then what What was the point? Why, why, if it couldn't prevent any of it, why were we doing it? And now, you know, so you've had your three doses, you've taken the risk however many times to, you know, that you might be putting your body, you know, on having some bad immune reaction and then you get COVID anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, but it'll prevent you from hospitalization and dying. Well, that's not true. Some people have had the vaccine and they've still been hospitalized or have died. Yes. So. we. I mean, we have, we've talked about records of that here in Indiana. So, and I, we're up to six doses. I think I saw for the first time this week, someone who had six doses of the shot. Wow. Reporting a reaction. So, wow. all right. Well, the other thing along with that, okay, so I'm going to play a short clip here because last week the vaccine injured in Australia filed a class action suit against the government. That specifically said, this is from the lawsuit, the action arises upon the basis that the government did not truly establish the vaccines were indeed safe or effective for use by the Australian public and the claim now proceeds upon the basis that the government, in fact, acted negligently in approving the vaccines and also by failing to withdraw them after approval based on the known evidence. So that's what 
it's happening in Australia now. And the one thing that Australia does that they have that we do not have, okay, so here in the United States, we, I think everybody knows you cannot sue the manufacturer because of the 1986 Act. You know, they, they said all liability. Basically, what had happened is that vaccine manufacturers said, hey, we're going to get out of doing vaccines. We're getting too many lawsuits. You know, we can't stay afloat. And the government said, well, don't worry about it. We really want you to make vaccines and we'll, we won't hold you liable. So they're not held liable. Yeah, what a perfect business model mm-hmm. here. No, you won't be held accountable. And yes, everybody in, in the country has to take your product. Um, and then, um, then you had the PrEP Act, which further expanded on this. And then I think somehow the countermeasures program that's in place from from the, all the COVID stuff that went down also prevents this. So it's it's super, super, super difficult to have to do this. In fact, it's almost impossible to sue given what's in place. However, however, as I was talking to Stephanie about this before we started, in Texas, Attorney General Paxton launched an investigation into the pharmaceutical companies Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson concerning whether they engaged in gain-of-function research and misled the public about doing so, whether the companies misrepresented the efficacy of their COVID-19 vaccines and the likelihood of transmitting COVID-19 after taking the vaccines, and potential manipulation of vaccine data. Okay, if that can be proved, they can be sued. So obviously they're going to fight hard against this, but all the evidence now says that it can be transmitted, it, it doesn't prevent infection. Um, there was, we absolutely know there was manipulation of the vaccine mm-hmm. data, the trial data. So if this can show that all of these things occurred, there are going to be massive, massive lawsuits. And I can tell you based on all the activity that I have seen within the different um, groups that I'm involved in, when you listen in on Twitter spaces where you have all the lawyers talking mm-hmm. and legislators, people are not backing down. They, this is going forward. And, and they're, they're not going to stop because of the tragedy that has taken mm-hmm. place. And it's like, they don't care. I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care what. We are going to get the help that these people need. And I hope, I hope they can. Yeah. I really, really hope they can. Here, I'm going to play a little clip on this was an interview over in Australia on a news program. Why do we hear so little about this issue? Victorian Liberal MP Russell Broadbent raised it yesterday after meeting victims, and he joins me live from Canberra now. Thanks for joining us, uh, Russell. You, you, you met a number of victims of vaccine injuries. Are they being treated fairly? It's very distressing even to have these people face-to-face and be speaking to them when you see some of them are so severely damaged. Being through all of this, every one of these uh, vaccine injuries, every one of them was strong, healthy, well men and women before they took the vaccines. From Perth to Adelaide to Melbourne to Sydney to Brisbane, people have been contacting. This has been going on for two years with me. It's not just something that started in the last few months. Yep. Although I was inspired by some of the emails that I'd received from people to say, come on, enough's enough. I think their elected representatives should be listening to these people. They should be hearing what they're having to say. So that was from over in Australia. And so why haven't people heard about all of this? Censorship? Well, we know. We know 
censorship. So I'm going to play a clip, the audio, you, you can watch the video, I'll put the link to the video um, in if you want to share it with other people, is the issue of censorship. Now this, this is going to go about, I think it's about seven minutes, maybe six minutes, I'm not sure. But it clearly, it's just clips about congressional hearings that you'll hear people of, of you'll hear Jay Bhattacharya, I got a shout out Jay, Jay Bhattacharya <laughs> retweeted this video out. Um, so uh, a lot of people, thousands of people were able to see uh, the video as well. So I'm going to play that clip so you can understand again, why haven't I heard about any of this? Well, here's why. Uh, I'm a physician. I'm also a former director of the Iowa Department of Public Health. And when it comes to trust in our agencies, if you've lost me, that means there is a lot that has to be answered for and oversight that has to be taken care of. Uh, I vaccinated individuals, all 24 of my counties in my district. I was vaccinated. But even now, there still persists this non-recognition of infection-acquired immunity, of herd immunity, of immunity that exists. And the purpose of a vaccine is to do what? It is to confer immunity. The failure of the CDC to use real-world evidence and data when studies from Israel or other countries showed that viral transmission still existed despite vaccination, uh, the failure of the CDC and other public health organizations to acknowledge infection-acquired immunity despite data from other countries, and that there were waning antibodies within one month after vaccine. The failure to acknowledge infection-acquired immunity or natural immunity and mandate vaccines to those who already have immunity. The failure of the CDC to acknowledge myocarditis and pericarditis in young people and still advocate for vaccines in young men despite that risk, which as we talked about finally last year, that there's a risk benefit that has to be considered but was not considered in these mandates. Menstrual irregularities in young women. I think that when you're trying to message to the public, and I can tell you as a public health director what I conveyed to my staff, was that our credibility was the most important thing that we had in public health. And so when we can't acknowledge what are common concepts and what my local public health uh, individuals and officers and physicians and nurses were acknowledging back at home, but we're not receiving through the CDC has created a lack of trust in extremely important institutions. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's four to 28 times more common after the, the vaccine. That young people benefit from a booster. Misinformation. Our two top experts on vaccines quit the FDA in protest over this particular issue, pushing boosters in young, healthy people. The data was never there. Over and over again, we've seen something that goes far beyond using your best judgment with the information at hand. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. Why, why did scientists, at least some scientists, decide to stop investigating, stop researching, stop even thinking outside the bubble? Aren't scientists trained to do that? I mean, I think if you look at what happened, the, the central sin is hubris. You had a relatively small number of very, very highly placed top scientific bureaucrats, people like Tony Fauci, people like Francis Collins, in charge of 
tens of billions of dollars of money. And it's not just money. They control the, the success and social status of scientists within the scientific profession. It's very difficult to speak up when they say, you know, it, lab leaking conspiracy, most people are going to stay silent even if they disagree. Uh, you saw today the CDC director, someone with tremendous experience uh, with, you know, in a position of power, he himself felt like he couldn't speak up when he was in the CDC against Tony Fauci and Francis Collins, even though he disagreed with them. Tried to explain to Dr. Fauci, who's an immunologist, that this virus, SARS and MERS, when they infected a man from the intermediate host, civet cat in the case of SARS and a camel in the case of MERS, they never learned how to go human to human. So those original outbreaks were less than a thousand people and the epidemics died. And so when everyone thought this was SARS-like, well, that's gonna, it's gonna die too. But this virus was immediately the most infectious virus, not the most, I think probably right behind measles, virus that we've ever seen infect man. So I immediately said, wait a second, this isn't natural. And then you go back and look at the literature and you find in 2014 this lab actually published a paper that they put the H2 receptor into humanized mice so it can infect human tissue. And then you learn that the new COVID, which came from bats, now can hardly replicate in bats. Yeah. So how does that happen? So I said that my view as a virologist, again, my hypothesis, and I never discredited them for their hypothesis, it's the spillover, was that this was most likely to come from the lab. And we need to aggressively investigate both hypotheses. Thank you. Has gain of function stopped a pandemic, to, in your opinion? No, on the contrary, I think it probably caused the greatest pandemic our world has seen. Result to the FOIA, CDC tracks every tweet that a congressman puts out. Not just Republican, but Democrat. They keep a spreadsheet, they make it every week. Uh, this showed up in the FOIA for me because I'm in their spreadsheet that they track. Why is this interesting? Okay, so they're tracking congressman's tweets at CDC. They're enrolled in the partner support uh, portal at, uh, at Twitter. And then I found, this is why, um, I found Alex Berenson's report very interesting because uh, what he found out is that Scott Gottlieb worked hard and, and Twitter complied, it looks like, to censor a tweet from a doctor about natural immunity. Guess what? On the same day that that doctor's tweet was censored, so were my tweets on natural immunity. Why is this important? What is, what is consequential about the date? This is three days after the military vaccine mandate came out and a week before the federal vaccine mandates came out. This truth was toxic to, to a narrative that Pfizer was spreading, that Joe Biden wanted out there so that he could force the vaccine on everybody, whether you had natural immunity or not. Now just quickly, we, we found just yesterday a tweet from um, the, the Virality Project at Stanford, which has partnered with a, new, a number of government agencies on Twitter, where they talked explicitly about um, censoring stories of true vaccine side effects um, and other true stories that they felt uh, encouraged hesitancy. So this blacklist that was created that really was used to uh, deplatform, uh, reduce visibility, yes. um, create lists internally where people couldn't even see their profiles. That was used against doctors and scientists who produced information that was contrary to what the CDC was putting out, despite the fact that we now know that what they were publishing had scientific basis and, in fact, was valid. Absolutely. And not only that, but these are secret blacklists. So Professor Bhattacharya had no idea he was on it. I mean, this is East Germany 
Stasi kind of behavior. That's what this is. And this is about the government, the government going in and censoring the government going in and pressuring these social media companies to behave in the way the government has sanctioned. They want state sanctioned narratives only online. And that is what this is about. We are no longer living in a society of free speech when the government is looking at our every single interaction and deciding who can and who cannot speak. That is what's going on. So there's the reality, folks. There is why, if you haven't heard all this, it's because your government has tried to do everything they can to keep it from you. And back in the day, this would have been over every single mainstream media news. I mean, this is this the real journalists. You know, this is... This is what they live for, for a free press mm-hmm. and a free society. And now you have the government basically owning, you know, the mainstream media. Very early on, several years ago, we talked about the Trusted News Initiative mm-hmm. where all these big, huge, you know, Google and everybody said, no, we're all going to work together to make sure that there's no misinformation that gets out. So they censored every bit of information, labeled it as misinformation, disinformation, when in fact it was real information. Okay, granted, there's there was some stuff out there that might have been kind of out there, but, but that you have to have the free flow of information to keep truth alive, you know. So I don't know. Stephanie, do you have any final thoughts there on any of this? No, I just like what you said. The the free flow of information is important to keep the truth alive. So I feel like that's what we're here doing, trying to get the information out there and get truth out there. And and you, uh, audience, you're welcome to examine it. Examine it. Yes, you know, please. One man sharpens another and iron sharpens iron. And so let's get the debate out there. And that's what's been really great about just even on Twitter, where you now have doctors that can go back and forth and information going back and forth. Hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? So, but we didn't have that all along. So um, we'll put the information in the show notes to all this. Yes, please check out all that work that Stephanie does. Read through those reports, listen to that horrific story of their mother, and then just please, please share things out. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to check out the show notes for helpful links discussed in today's episode. Until next time, may you be a fortifier to the world around you.